This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So great to have you folks here today as, as we look at commitment and like, what does it mean to make stands in our life? How does that look? And, and I feel it's really important. And, and I'm going to come back to this in a couple different ways. You know, unfortunately, when people think of religion and commitment, they think of weaponized religion, which is religion that's, that's out to tear down and harm versus religion that is to build. Religio, religion, religio, Latin, reconnect. You know, that's the place for us to make our stand and for us to make our commitments. As one author famously said, you know, we're kind of caught in life. Much of our life is spent between two different mountains, two mountains First mountain is kind of like our mountain of our career and, and those, those, those resume virtues of life. How we kind of see it all green. How we kind of see, how we kind of see life working. We'll see if we get the next one. Don't have it? All right. We'll keep moving. And the second one is, is the idea that, that in this shift, we go from a first mountain to a second mountain. First mountain to a second mountain. Now, you think about your first mountain phase, and I was meeting with a wonderful uh, college student last week, and we were talking about the first mountain, and the first mountain is really important. I mean, it's, it's critically, critically important. It's a time of life where we kind of get it all set up, the basic disciplines of our life. There's nothing wrong with that time period, so it's not like we're going to say, well, you know, you're only on the first mountain. I happen to be on the second. It's not that at all. It's, it's about understanding there are necessary times to have a first mountain and there are necessary times to have a second. Isn't it fascinating, folks? The Bible, for those of you who don't know, the Bible's kind of divided into two halves. Jesus' birth is kind of the center line of it. It's, it's books written, you know, a few thousand years before he was born and then books written from when he was born on. And these books over here, to this side of it before he's born, they have this, this list called the Ten Commandments, these Ten Commands that we're supposed to follow. And, and that's really important. Like, it's important to know the rules, right? It's important to know the rules. How fun is it playing a game when people aren't following the rules? How fun is that? Kids, please answer. It's no fun at all. You know, it's zero fun, especially when it's your brother or sister. It's no fun. No fun. So, so the rules are important because the rules let us play the game. And then the second half, the beauty of the second half are the two great commandments. And the two great commandments say what well, really only comes down to one word. Take a guess what that word is. It begins with L, ends with of. Love. Fascinating. Right? That's kind of how it is supposed to work. What gets us from one mountain to the other, what helps us to climb that first mountain, move when we're done with the first mountain into a second mountain, it's really about transcending and including, is this idea of commitment. So what I want to do is I'm going to come around in the audience and I want to share a question with you. And you're going to be able to text, guys, if you can show them the text, I don't know whether we can or not. Can we show them? No, all right. So, so, so you'll just have to trust me. You, you can... There we go, yes. The booth guys, listen, our booth guys are so good. And does technology always work? No, but they are consistently trying to get it to work when it's not cooperating. So big round of applause to you guys. So 
so it's, it's a question, and I, this is a big question, actually, and, and it's a question where we could almost spend the whole service on this question, because how you answer it in your mind should lead out to a whole sermon. All right, so to get set up for the question, let's do this. Let's all take a big breath. And one more. And here's your question. And I read this question, and I thought, oh my goodness, that's really good, because it gets us to think about commitment. It's going to sound a little strange when it first comes out of my mouth. I want you to stick with it. Whose commitment saved your life? Now, it may have been a literal, this person's commitment saved my life, like literally saved my life, or it could be broader. It could be like, yeah, figuratively, this person's commitment really saved my life. I, I, I was, I was out with a buddy and just, just like, and I just thought, you know, we're driving around. I just thought, oh, I'll just throw him this question. Like, hey, whose commitment saved, saved your life? So, uh, you know, but I, I, I sort of thought he'd give me a surface answer. He got very serious. And he said, you know, Chuck, I was struggling with addiction. I was pretty sure it was time to end it all. And somebody called me that night. when all that thought, all those head bullies were going on. Their commitment as a friend to call saved my life. All right? So what I'd like to do is I'd like to come around, have some people just answer that, try to keep it to like one or two sentences, and I'm going to offer a little commentary on it. Like, whose commitment saved your life? So please just raise your hand as I come around. My mom. My mom. Mom's right here. <laughs> What's another one out there, folks? My mom. I went through some serious illnesses and still am, and she's driven up from South Carolina. Um, she walks me through it. She helps me with the depression of dealing with illness. Because oh, so it gets... Sad. It gets sad, yeah. and she's there. She's it's, there. It's beautiful. Thank you, Jen. My grandfather. I was in a really dark place at one time, and he just said, "Come over for dinner." And at first, I didn't. I thought he doesn't see how sad I am, but by asking me to come to dinner, he knew I needed That's it. attention. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Remember, folks, again, yeah, thank you. As we've said a bunch of times in here, God gives us a, begins with T, we're doing all kinds of fill in the blank. God gives us a table, not a courtroom. And that's where we get to experience that. Beautiful. My brother, Kevin Roth, not once but twice. So, Kevin, and Kevin's a good, an amazing counselor. One more, folks. We got one more. I get by with a little help from my friends. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Lynn, Lynn, can I just tell a piece of the story? So, so Lynn, Lynn uh, lost her mom last week, and a group of New Church Live friends showed up for dinner, bringing over dinner. That idea that that commitment, folks, like, like, let me 
I think that's such a critically important question that we ask because you can see how a whole sermon comes out the other side of it. Like these commitments really matter. You know, they're, they're really critically important and they're life giving. And, 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 and they can literally like, they can literally save our lives and they can figuratively save our lives. And, and yet we live in an era you know, this is me, I'm going to sound like really old-fashioned here, but we live in an era where we don't talk much about commitment. Can, can I give you a one-minute wah-wah for a second? <laughs> yeah, this is my wah-wah. My, my wah-wah is like, there's people who are going to go to work tomorrow at, at technology companies, and they're going to be trying to figure out ways for you to feel more entertained on your phones, on your computers, and how they can keep you longer on the screens. That's their job, nothing wrong with being entertained. But Who's out there saying, I want to make you more committed? Is anybody doing that first thing tomorrow morning for eight hours a day? I don't think so. But that commitment's so important. It's not fancy. It's, it doesn't dress up. It, it doesn't even necessarily preach well. But I think it's critical that we hold it and we try to understand what that means, especially that commitment around faith. Folks, there's just so much. There's so much I want to say as part of that commitment. It was at a meal a couple of months ago. And, and the stories I, I tell, I told the group this morning, the stories I tell are, are stories about what this congregation does for each other, how those commitments sort of show. And it was a beautiful meal. And there's two people sitting beside each other, one's younger, one's older, one was raised in, in, in very affluent circumstances. One was raised in more challenging circumstances. One this, one that. that are, they're totally different. What occurred to me was that no algorithm could ever put them together. Do you get that? They would never be Facebook friends, in other words. <laughs> because they would never show up. But, but that's the beauty. When, when we start to move from, from this, we start to focus on this thing called God and God's word, it pulls us into these amazingly, amazing friendships and kinships and connections. And we can't sit back and wait for the commitment to happen to us. We need to actually make the commitment. And then when the commitment happens, then good stuff happens. And you end up at a Lady Alma concert Thursday night with friends. <laughs> That's what I was at the concert with. So you can see that stuff. And, and I want to talk about that being and how important that is. See, see, I think commitment, I think commitment when it gets down to this spiritual commitment. Well, it's not going to show. All right. So it's, it's a line that I like. It's complete simplicity that costs you everything. It's like it gives our life a complete, oh, there it is. The religious life is the condition of complete simplicity costing us not less than Everything. And that, and that everything, folks, it's not to be an intimidating thing. You know, it's like, I think with the everything, it's our fears, our anxieties, our worries, our concerns. I think that's what it costs us. And, and maybe we can live in that place. And, and life does sort of become more simple then. Because, because we kind of know what God is calling us to do. So the story I want to read for you here today is, is the story of the, of the Ten Commandments. Now, now the Ten Commandments, 
I'm going to read you the story, and I want you to take a look at the ark that will be coming up here behind me. And this is where they're, they're told what these commitments are that they're supposed to make, and that God gives these Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments say, this is the first one, And God spoke all these words, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before you, before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below. You should not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. For this, uh, but showing love, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. It's a beautiful idea of the commandments. And, and, and it was housed in this, in this ark. And that little part, you see the two angels' wings bending over? This is really a beautiful phrase. That little space right there where the angels are kind of hovering and kind of, kind of caring, that was called the mercy seat. Is that beautiful or what? You know, that's where, that's where mercy was found. That's where tenderness and love was found. And then it goes on with this next slide to what the actual commandment was. I'm the Lord your God. You have no other God. I'm the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before my face. You will not make any graven images. And we're going to look at that because it's, it's so incredibly important to see and to see how that works. Folks, that is, those perspectives as the band comes out, want you to really think, like, how does commitment work? Where do you feel called to make that commitment? In a specific commitment around faith. Now, I'm not saying, like, we're going to bust out a big altar call here. That's not it. A commitment around faith is so much more than that. Yes, baptism is part of that. A beautiful, amazing, angel-centered part of that. But there's other commitments, too, there around faith. I want you to think, as you listen to this next song, like, how does that look for you? What are those commitments for you? Where are you kind of feeling called to move forward? And then when we come back, I want to talk about that movement, and I want to talk about the incredible joy that one can find when one starts to see this whole first commandment in a brand new way. A new way to say, I promise. And it's this promise we make towards faith. So our quick shout out to those online, you know, a shout out to, to Bob Johnson. He's, he's recovering in a hospital watching us. So saying hello to Bob. Some other ones were beautiful that came in. Struggling with my divorce and my kids' commitment to being strong for me saved my life. They looked at me, smiled, said, Dad will be okay. My boss and coworker, she never gave up on me, made sure I got help. Had I lost that job, I would have surely taken my life. This guy's getting ready for Valentine's Day. My wife. Another one. My wife and a friend of the late, great Roger Lansbury, who was a parishioner here. Peter Rhodes. So, so there's all kinds of things like that, folks, where, where we can start to see how commitment can, can really look and can really work. And it's, it's like no small thing. And, and I do want to urge you to think about joining this small group uh, again, they're just going to be three weeks, but we're going to look at this and we're going to honor, I mean, part of it's going to be learning to honor the people whose commitment has really shaped our lives, as well as like being able to say out loud, this is what we commit to. There's something about speaking our commitments to the universe that makes a huge difference. 
As is so often said, when we move, God moves too. When we move, God moves too. And that's the joy that we see with commitment all the time. So I want to continue on here. So when we look at what is true, we look at what is commitment. Again, they're having some switcher problems up there, so we're not sure whether we're going to be able to get this slide. Let's see. Yes, no, maybe. Oh, there we got it. Good. This is a brilliant piece of new church theology, I think. For truth to actually be true, it must have life in it. All right, next slide. And that life comes from the good and the love in it. Alive, when it grows, I'm going to have you say the L word there and then from. Alive when it grows from? Of God and service to our neighbor. In other words, folks, like truth, you know, I think a lot of people, again, they, we, it's so easy to weaponize truth. You know, and, and I fall into this especially, like, for those of you who knew the Enneagram, I'm an eight, which essentially means I'm a jerk. And, and, and it, 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 it's so easy to kind of think of, of truth and weaponize and think like, well, I'm going to finally set them straight and tell them the truth. Welcome to social media. You know, like, that's weaponized truth. And here's a fascinating perspective. Here's a new church perspective that says, no, if, if it's not growing out of love and serving other people, it's not true. Let that sink in. If it's not coming from love, growing out of love, and it's not serving other people, it's not true. It might be accurate, but it's not true. That's a huge place to kind of live into. And, it, and it's fascinating. You know, Manuel Swinburne, who's the theologian, the Christian theologian around which we, we organize a lot of our, our Christian thought in here. You know, he talked about those graven images, like when God commands, don't have graven images. Well, it's interesting. Those graven images, that's what they are. They're when, they're when we look at truth, but it doesn't have love in it. We just worship what's true, but that's it. Can I give you a simple recast of that? It's when you fall in love with your own opinion. That's what he's talking about. When you fall in love with your own opinion, but there's no love in it. There's just the endless, ceaseless chatter in your head about why you're right and they're wrong. That's, and it's, folks, like, that is a really difficult place to move away from, because people do do really awful things to other people. They, they do. I mean, the world is filled with that. And there are times to release relationships. There are times to demand accountability. And all of that has to come, for it to be true, it has to come from love and seek to serve. It has to both come from love and seek to serve. If that doesn't happen, this is what does. Please say those two words. Faith alone. Faith alone, in the new, from a new church perspective, that's the boogeyman. That's where we get off base. Is when we're just so consumed with truth that we forget totally about love. And, and churches, all, all kinds of religious institutions can do that. And it just, it just doesn't pass the smell test when it happens. 
It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like that's, that's what God had in mind. There's a beautiful line from Scripture that, that goes on to say this. This is from Habakkuk chapter 2. There's no, there is no breath in it. In other words, it's not living and breathing. That's why we need to consistently be so careful. Because that's, that's the whole point of the word. The point of the word is not for us to go through and, and look at the one word that then, or the one line that we can use to sort of lob shells at other people. It's to look at the word this way. It's to look at the Bible, look at the word, and see it as a struggle. It's people wrestling with what faith means. And there are passages in here that, of course, will, will, will make it appear that there's an angry God. We believe that that's really our anger. It's not really God's anger. It's just an appearance. But that there's this deep love underneath it. And our job is to hear that song as best we can, as deeply as we can. And brothers and sisters, it's not ever to weaponize faith. I heard, I heard this beautiful description, and it was a, was a female pastor doing a podcast, and she said, you know, we all need, all of our lives, we need to learn to preach with soft eyes, not with hard eyes. With soft eyes, not with hard eyes. Much of that preaching, again, that idea of, of coming from love and, and serving, and those things will actually teach you, will teach you a great deal. When friends go over to support a parishioner who's lost her mother, like, like that's a sermon. Folks, that's true. That's what truth really is. That's why John says, know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Because there's a freedom on the other side of that that's incredibly beautiful. A little bit of humor, I think, when we weaponize faith, maybe this is the kind of book we write. Penguin Books, How to Tell Friends They Are Technically Heretics, A Guide to Dying Alone. That's good biblical humor right there. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not about that. It's about understanding that, that when we add love, Truth becomes a living form. It becomes alive. Like, here's a chart for you. We were working on it. Just look at this. Like, you guys are so, so on it today. So, so this half, you folks are going to say the first mountain thing. So I'll point to you. You'll say happiness. You folks over on this side, you're going to say the second half. That's meaning. All right? So we'll just go through it. These are the, these are the shifts from the first mountain to the se- second mountain. The first is from? To? The second is from Christ. two. The third is Freedom. two. Good. The fourth is from two. The fifth is two. And last but not least, from two. Moral joy. Like this is one I take a picture of. Because that's where, see, the four commitments come right down the middle that we're going to be talking about over these next four weeks, starting out with that commitment of faith. 
And, and they're what consistently moves. Now, now what was interesting, we were talking about this in sermon writing team, the big aha was that it's, it's not again that first mountain goes away and then we just live in second mountain. It's that what happens is God's love, when we, when we make that commitment, God's love then is able to flow down, right down the middle of that becomes a stream coming down the middle. And somehow the miracle of this stream is it starts to pull those things closer and closer together, but in life-giving ways. So Martin Luther King, it was just a few weeks ago, he was clearly concerned about rights. And he was clearly concerned about responsibilities. He was clearly a second mountain person. The two came, became close. You could say the same with freedom and commitment or, or individuality and community. Like it, it continues to draw these two closer and closer together. But we need to commit to understand that there is this second mountain and it matters and we need to make commitments to get there. To not say that is to miss. To not say that is to not understand the impact that this can have on our lives when we start to just Venture into that second mountain part through our commitments. Can I share with you two stories about that? Two simple stories. Just, just one. This just made my day. This next picture here. Oh, can we have the one with the, the other one first? I want to do this one second. There we go. Just, just a, a, a group of, group of friends who went down to St. Francis Inn. They had a wonderful time down there. You know, I get this text on my phone, and I just, and I'm thinking, yeah, the, the young man on the le- left, I knew I was going to see him uh, at a college event. And uh, I said, yep, he will have understood something totally different. And I, I capture him, and I'm like, hey, how did that go down there? And he's like, Chuck, it was amazing. I can't wait to go again. You know, it just, it was so beautiful to see. Because, folks, what that is, he had experienced this the core of moral joy. The core of moral joy. Very different than happiness. Moral joy, in my mind, it's where we we take the brokenness of the world. This morning I was looking up some stuff. Mary Oliver said it's where we get to the point where we start to see, listen to this, the beautiful stone-hard beauty of everything. The beautiful stone-hard beauty of everything. And there's, there's this joy because we, we see the world as it is. We understand that there is brokenness in the world. And we come to understand our place anew in the world. That joy is so deep and so rich. And we can't create it. It's not like there's steps I can give you. You want to feel moral joy? Here, do these three things. No, we, we just we make the commitments and we keep on showing up. And then there's this moral joy. That moral joy happens even in circumstances that are heartbreaking. It's a sober joy. And it's a real joy. With peace, God, love, and the reminder that we belong to each other. And the reminder that we belong to each other at its very core. Now this other picture, uh, if we go to the beanbag picture... Yeah, that beanbag picture. It's a beautiful picture there. So, so a couple of parishioners, uh, sent me this. So they, they went down to the, uh, to the USO down in the Philadelphia airport. Now the USO is sort of a lounge where military personnel go to sort of congregate as they're catching flights to different places. And they went in and they looked and, and this couple, they asked, they said, Hey, you know, what do you folks need here? And, and the woman said, You know, 
we have office furniture. And we could actually use some, some like kid furniture here because oftentimes when kids have a, have a parent who's been hurt overseas, the, the family flies into Philadelphia, then they get driven to see their loved ones. So a lot of these families are, are struggling with a lot of stuff and, and we want to be able to have a comfortable spot. And so they got the beanbag chairs, and this is a young man on his way to visit his dad, and he's just exhausted after the trip, asleep there on the beanbag. That's moral joy. It's that piece of service. It's that piece of reaching out. It's that piece of understanding, again, the perfect stone-hard beauty of everything. It's a reminder we belong to each other. It's that commitment to faith. Notice what I'm saying there. It's the commitment to faith. It's not the commitment to being right. It's the commitment to a living, breathing faith. We all, me included, can just do that a little bit more. We can figure out a way to, to like just think about, just even if it's for five minutes a day, just think about the little commitments we make and just, just ratchet our lives up just a little bit because, folks, I'm telling you, when you do it, there's a world out there that's filled with a lot of pain It's filled with tremendous preciousness as well. And it needs committed people to live into the changes that we're called to as part of our lives of faith. What happens when we start to do that? Well, I think we go back to that first command again. But this time we read it differently. I'm the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before my face. You will not make any graven images. We no longer see that as a command, brothers and sisters. We see that as a promise of the way life can be. That we're not going to have these other distractions in our life. What we're going to have is we're going to have the reality of the life that's right in front of us. Yes, we plan for the future. Yes, we learn from the past. But we always, always, always live in the present. That's where the commitment of faith really happens. It's not instructions on how to leave earth. It's instructions of bringing earth and heaven closer together. As in heaven, so upon the earth. That's the commitment of faith. We have, as we always have, a unique opportunity to do that corporately as a group. We have, and we always have, a unique opportunity to do that as individuals, as families. This week, let's think about that commitment. This week, I guarantee you, God is going to give you that opportunity to exercise it. Literally, to exercise it. To get that commitment moving. 
Don't look for it in something big and grand. Look for it in something small. Make that small little commitment of faith there. And say what we can always say. Thank you, God. This land was blessed. And I didn't even know it. Amen. Now, we're going to close with our last song. Now, New Church Live, we're not big on being perfect. So if any of you saw the last song last week, it, it had some challenges with microphones, but Marcus figured it out. So this week, we're going to do that same song. And, you know, I'd ask you just to think about it as we rise. Like, what are the commitments we're rising to? What are the commitments we're willing to make? You're, we're going to have some words up on the screen. You're welcome to join the band as well in singing this last song. So, you ready for a final prayer? All right, let's pray, folks, and then enjoy this last song. So, Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. Lord, help us with the commitments in our lives to find ways to rise up. To rise up to what you ask of us. These commitments, Lord, that are not given out of guilt or shame, or even should, these commitments that are given to us as opportunities to love, to discover a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of relating to you, a way that has many of the distractions of life pushed aside. And in that process of pushing aside, has pulled us in to what really matters, what lasts, what's true. Lord, give us a heart for that commitment this week. Help us to see it. Help us to live it. Help us to support one another in the search for it. In your name, this Sunday, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 